Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and Mr. John Morris is out on special assignment tonight, so I'm going to run through all of our wonderful sponsors before I introduce our guest. So first sponsor we have is Maxon Outfitters, made for anglers by people who fish, lid rigs, use your head, snip different, Morris Fly Co, Eaton Big, Troutlander Nets, Exploration Through Innovation, and Angry Rooster Fly Co. Make sure you check out all of our sponsors that we just listed off. They have some wonderful discounts, great discount codes, all that good stuff. So now that we're through the business part of it, let's get to the fun part of it. Today, I have Kieran Payne. He is also known as the Sunfish King. And if you're listening to this, more than likely, you know who he is. He has an awesome YouTube channel. He's a multi-species angler from Missouri. And well... Like all of our other guests, we went through, found each other through the magic of the internet, and here he sits today. We're having the interview. So, Kieran, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this thing. And so we were just talking about your adventure on your way home. Uh, feel free during this, if you want to pull your shoes and socks off, uh, if you got them <laughs> wet, go, go for that. But uh, why don't you recap this whole adventure uh, that you had? Well, it's been about a week and a half since I've gone fishing. I'm a, I'm a grad school student going for my master's in wildlife biology here at Missouri State University. So I haven't had time to fish in the last week and a half and got to scratch that itch. So I had like, you know, 30, 45 minutes to go hit a spillway between work and doing this. And I uh, was fishing a spillway. I caught some bluegills and stuff like that. It was a ton of fun. And then Next thing you know, I'm fishing with night crawlers and, you know, anything will bite a worm. And I'm not sure if it was a big carp or what it was. I only got a few glimpses of it, but something put a big bend in my pole and I was fighting it. But more, more, uh, I guess you could say it was fighting me is more accurate. Um, it was just spooling my line. I had, I tried to get, you know, a little bit of headway on it, but it wasn't working. So I had to jump down like a 10 foot ledge and stand, I was standing like, somewhere between ankle and knee deep in the water, hence the wet shoes and socks that Ryan was talking about. And uh, yeah, so I'm using 10 pound line, which was fine for the bluegills and obviously not for this big carp, which I've landed large fish on light line before, but this guy wasn't having it. He pulled my entire spool um, to where I, I knew it was going to break off. I mean, I could see it just come right off the, uh, off the spool and sure enough, he snapped my whole rig off and I lost him. Um, I was recording, so at least I got the fight <laughs> for a YouTube video or something, which will be really cool. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes it's those ones that get away that keep you coming back, right? So it was it was a ton of fun. It would have been nice to land that one, but still got some decent pan fish and had a good little little trip. So that'll scratch my itch until this weekend. I'm going out uh, fishing Table Rock Lake here in Missouri for bass and walleye and catfish uh, this weekend for my birthday. So that should be a ton of fun. Oh man, what a way to spend a birthday weekend. You get up there uh, and, and that's a great lake too. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I live clear out here in Oregon and know what lake that is. So that that is awesome. So you're down there fishing. How, how far is the spillway from your house? Um, Probably 15 to 20 minutes from my apartment here. 
Um, I had to go pick up worms and stuff on the way. So that added a little bit to the trip, but I got back in time to do this thing. I was worried I'd be late. So I'm glad I made it. <laughs> no, you're, you're great. Cause you were messaging me yesterday. Hey, we still doing this thing. We're hell yeah, man. We're, we're always down to talk fishing and that's, that's what we're here to do. So, well, that's, that's good that you have that so close to home. Yeah. Springfield, Missouri. We've got, uh, we've got some good fisheries around here. There's some creeks and rivers and stuff like that. The James river is pretty close to here. And that's actually the spillway I was fishing came off of Lake Springfield, one of our big lakes here, and that feeds into the James river. So definitely a good place to fish. And I've, uh, I've hooked up with big spoonbills there. I've landed nice carp. I know there's good catfish in there. And if you just want to go out for some like pan fish and bass, um, there's tons of those in the spillway as well. So it's an awesome spot. Wish I had a little more time to fish, but I scratched the itch. So I'm good to go. <laughs> good, good. Well, it, it, is it good year round? Um, so that spillway, I have not fished when it gets cold. When it gets cold, it's trout season here. And we don't have, we only have stock trout for the most part in Missouri and they don't stock them in that lake or anything. I, I normally go up around Kansas City area and the Missouri Department of Conservation every year around November, they stock rainbow trout in a lot of the lakes up there. So winter, I am mainly trout fishing. I'll go out for some crappie and stuff every once in a while if it's not like iced over. Um, but yeah, so most of the year, I would say that spillway is good because of the running water. I don't know if it freezes down in that spot or if it stays open but maybe I'll go try it this winter and see. But for the most part, that spillway is good. I've only fished the actual lake on the other side of the spillway once, I believe. And I caught a catfish and some little panfish as well. So so you prefer to fish the, the spillway or the lakes? Or are you indifferent? Uh, I love spillways. I'll, I'll fish anywhere I can get on fish. I just, I love just being out there and fishing. But I am... I am more partial to creeks and rivers. I like fishing streams. Just... Um, you know, it can change in a couple of days. And down here in like the Ozark area of Missouri, it's really rocky. So that rain doesn't really percolate the the surface of the ground. It just kind of runs into all the streams. So we get an inch of rain and the spillways and creeks and rivers just fill right up. So, uh, I mean, it can go from the water's low, you're not catching a whole lot. And then all these new fish get washed in every time you get a rain. So it, it keeps it exciting for me. So I, I definitely like fishing the streams. Yeah. When, when you get those big rain events, so you, you have the spillways that interconnect to the lake and I'm, I'm just picturing this in my mind, mm -hmm. the water comes up, those fish push in water drops and it traps the fish basically. Yep. Traps the fish there unless they, mm -hmm. unless they swim uh, downstream and then I'll just, you know, either take the kayak out or just wade downstream and try to find whatever hole they're hiding in. Yeah. I've, I've always been fascinated by the Midwest's networks of, of spillways because that, that's not like out West. We don't really have spillways like that. Like we have hydroelectric dams on big rivers that look like massive spillways, but they're just they're It's just making a, a, a power impoundment, basically a giant water battery, uh, which is the same way that some of your spillways work. Some of them are probably irrigation. We have irrigation dams and all that kind of stuff. But do you find that uh, uh, with, with fishing those and everything else, because they are man-made structures, that they're a little bit easier to fish than some of the other things? Um, I would say easier and harder in different ways. So the spillway, this one, um, pretty rocky because it's got spotted bass, smallmouth, and a lot of the waters around here are just not clear enough and don't have like water feeding in so they don't really support those type of fish. 
but this is super rocky. So you've got to deal with not only breaking off on rocks and stuff, but dealing with the other people's rigs that they have broken off on rocks too. So mm -hmm. a lot of people stay away from that spillway because it's just snag city, but I found a kind of, kind of stupid looking rig, but it, it works fairly well um, for not getting me snagged. Just, a, just, I stack three, um, like egg sinkers on my line about a quarter ounce each and it looks dumb but i'm the only one out there not getting snagged so if it works <laughs> i'll do it but as far as getting on fish in my experience unless you're just trying to catch little bluegills around the bank which they're pretty much everywhere um i i think my chances of hooking up with some nice fish are a little bit better in the spillway than on the other side in the actual lake but i'll, I'll fish anywhere i can no that's cool because um you know, the, there again, if you got your spot, you got your spot, you can totally run with it. And, right. uh, you know, it's cool to have it that close to home. Definitely. Uh, where you're not making some big long trek, like, Oh man, I can't go to my fishing hole. I think that's one of those things out of necessity people, you know, they never try what's close to home because they just don't think anything's there. Yep. I'm still exploring the area. I've been here for a year. I moved in last August and I'm from the Kansas city area. So all my all my honey holes that I've fished for for several years, um, they are they're up near the Kansas City area for the most part. So um, my original thinking was, yeah, I'm going to get down to Springfield. They've got great fishing down there. I'll have 30 spots close to home within 30 minutes that I can go hit. But then uh, grad school life, the reality of that kind of hit me to where, I, you know, most of the time, if I'm not working on homework or in class or at work, I'm going to be doing my research stuff, which involves trail cameras and mammal communities and stuff like that. And if I'm not doing that and I find free time, it's always that balance of, do I go home and see family? They're two and a half hours away. It's not, you know, unreasonable to drive up there. Obviously with gas, it's not, uh, it's not the cheapest, especially for a, for a struggling uh, college student, but um, I haven't had a, a, enough time to explore. I haven't had enough time to find like a lot of places around me, but the couple places I found near me that are good, I keep going there. And if I have a weekend day, I will go out and scout new spots and stuff like that. So there there's gotta be a ton of good areas right within 30 minutes or less of my apartment. And I've only found I'm just the tip of the iceberg as far as what I've discovered yet. Um, but you look on like Google maps and you can see tons of creeks and, and little rivers around here that I, you know, I've got on my list and I just need to go out and hit them and see what's there. Yeah, man. I, well, that's gotta be quite the experience, you know, moving from one spot to another and then pursuing a, a graduate degree and in, in something like fit, you know, fish and wildlife. Uh, that's, that's a pretty intense program. Um, I guess we'll backtrack a little bit. Normally everybody asks this question first, but I wanted to talk fishing right out of the gate. Right. right um, <laughs> what, what, when did you start fishing? What got you going? So I'm going to be honest. I, it is, September of 22, I started fishing at the end of 2019. So I haven't even been fishing a full three years. So it'll be three years in um, probably November, December of this year. I, I first started fishing right around the time they were stocking trout, like I was talking about in uh, the Kansas City area. Um, but it's hard to say what got me into fishing. So I was already, I was undergrad student in, in like wildlife biology. So, I, you know, I've always been into the outdoors and things like that, but I, I don't come from a family that fishes hunts or anything like that. So I learned all, you know, all that stuff on my own. And, uh, really, to be honest, I was, uh, it was not too long after the, the video game Red Dead Redemption 2 came out and I was playing that game and it was a lot of fun, but I found myself wasting time fishing in the video game and stuff like that. And, 
one November day, I had just played too many hours and I was like, I need to get off the, the screen and go out and fish. I searched around my garage and I found an old crappy pole and it already had a little tube jig tied on and me being dumb and not knowing what I was doing. I just grabbed that and went out with my little wiener dog, Max, and I didn't even bring any other tackle or anything. And so I caught a bluegill like first cast and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Fishing's easy, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah. of course I broke it off on a rock shortly after and um, went back and couldn't find anything else. So I, uh, I was like, I'm going to get into this fishing thing. And I went, and I was in a little better financial situation back then before moving out here. I was still living with my parents. And so I bought coolers. I bought a couple of like ugly stick GX twos. It's like $40 for the combo <clears throat> and ugly sticks are known for not breaking. So I'm like, I could, I could catch little fish on these. I could stand a chance with some bigger fish. And, uh, I, I I'm not going to lie between then and probably December or January, I struggled. I barely caught any fish. I went out. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying on my own. And then I started watching some YouTube videos and I went to, uh, to some local stocked trout lakes for the winter. And I mean, the first couple of times I went up there, I just left everything in the car and I walked around the bank and saw anyone who knew what they looked like they were doing. I was like, Hey, any tips for me, anything like that? And some people looked at me like I was crazy. Like what's this dude doing coming up and talking to me, but some of the older gentlemen out there were super cool and gave me a bunch of tips. And I remember the first day I, and I was just fishing with power bait that day, I believe. And I got into a ton of uh, stocked rainbow trout and I just fell in love with fishing. I mean, I was probably using too heavy of, you know, line and maybe too big of a hook, but I eventually got it figured out. And so panfish is kind of what got me into it, but then trout is what, what hooked me. And then uh, as soon as the spring came, you know, I went and found some bass and some catfish and, hooked up with a couple of really nice, you know, double digit carp, 10, 15 pounds. And I was just sold after that. So now I just fish for whatever I can. It's just whatever I decide I'm going to go for that day is what I go for. And that usually is, you know, what's in season. What do I think I have a good chance for? Or sometimes I get on a kick where I'll be out and, you know, I'll catch some carp and I'm like, this is a lot of fun. I'll go for carp for a week. And then I'm like, all right, I got to get back on the bass now. And so I, I'm always switching up. And the hardest part of that is just, what do I bring with me fishing? And today I made the bad decision. I brought, you know, my rod with 10 pound line and it, it didn't work. It was fine for the bluegills, but not for the bigger fish. So again, so fish for everything. <laughs> well, so you started fishing three years ago, but you're doing a master's program. So obviously you went through your bachelor degree, right? Yeah. I have a bachelor's in wildlife biology from the university of central Missouri. Um, okay. I got that in the spring of 2021 so that was last year and so i'm now starting this semester is the start of my second year of grad school so within the year i should graduate with a master's in wildlife biology so then that 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 bachelor degree even that that selection of that major predates you even starting fishing i mean were, were you more into like hunting when you were younger or did you have those types of experiences or Nope, not really. My dad's a huge outdoorsman, but he's also a, um, he's not a vegetarian, so he doesn't eat meat, but he eats fish. So pescatarian, pescatarian whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so he's happy with me catching fish, but he never took me fishing, hunting, anything like that. It was just camping, biking, mountain climbing, things like that. So all that fun stuff. He's very active. He's in better shape than I am, and he's going to be 60 soon. So, but uh, yeah, I definitely had um, uh, parents that would always take me out in the outdoors, and I think that fostered my love for it. And even when I was a little kid, I was always watching, you know, Animal Planet, Discovery Channel. I've always been fascinated by the outdoors. And I honestly think that if I had gotten into fishing a couple years earlier, I probably would have went into more of the fish side of biology. But my my specialization is with 
um, with mammals, mammal communities, and trail cameras. And that was kind of, I kind of got wrapped up in that research, like right before I got into fishing. But that's cool. I can keep, I cannot get burnt out on fish and everything like that. You know, I can do all my research with mammals. And then when I get free time, I'll still have, you know, the passion of going out and fishing. So. No, that's super cool. And that, and that's one of those things where, you know, it, uh, it just always amazes me. Like somebody gets into that and you do it for the love of the animals. It's not because I'm in the hook in these animals or I'm in the shooting these animals. I just love the animals and I love how they interact and you know, that you got into that research. That's super cool. Yep, exactly. So, um, you know, with all of that being said, you know, what, what are you hoping to do with your, your career? So I get asked this question a lot, obviously, when people find out that I'm in uh, grad school, because obviously that's a big commitment. Um, I recently changed. So originally I wanted to get a PhD. I wanted to go all the way and I wanted to probably be a professor at some research institute where I'd have all these students at my disposal who needed to do undergraduate or graduate research, and they could help me with whatever I wanted. I could help them if they had any ideas. Um, you get all that funding from the from the institution, which is awesome. But I, I started um, college in 2014. It took me seven years to get my bachelor's because I changed majors a couple times and took a little bit of time off to work and things like that, because obviously finances and everything. Um, so now I'm thinking more along the lines of, and I may go back and get a PhD later if I need it for what I want. Um, but now I'm thinking I'm leaving all my options open. I've completed all the requirements I need to, or I will after this semester for, um, for federal wildlife positions. So I would love to just go out and continue to collect data and, and do research with my trail cameras on the different dynamics of mammal communities in managed and unmanaged areas, which is kind of what my master's thesis is now. And then I will have that information and that can get passed along to the enforcement uh, agencies. So like the Department of Natural Resources or the Department of Conservation, things like that. And they can do with that information as they please. There's obviously politics and money involved with that. So if I have some suggestion like, oh, hey, what you're doing with managing the, this deer population is actually hurting either the deer or, you know, some other aspect of the environment, they may not listen to that because it might not be beneficial to them money what money wise or whatever, but at least give them that that information of here's what I've found, you know, how, how these management efforts or techniques are affecting the, the ecosystem, the environment, and you do with that as you will. So I'm more of like the behind the scenes work is what I want to do that will eventually translate to the legislation and, um, you know, all the laws for game and wildlife and things like that. So that's what I'm interested in. Oh, that's, that's really cool because a lot of people don't even think about that deep into like the, the fish and game laws that we have, and it becomes a source of contention, whether you're talking to the old timer out there or a licensed guide or uh, commercial fishing or what, you know, or, you know, licensed hunting guides at, at that. We, we kind of talk about fish in the regards of commercialization because, you know, where you're at, you probably have commercial gill netting going on in a lot of the large water bodies. We have commercial gill netting offshore and in our large river systems. And so there's a lot of things that can be of high contention in the law category and everybody complains about it, but nobody wants to do anything about it. hundred percent. Yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, uh, not a lot of people think about, but that's, that is super cool in its own right. So, um, Nonetheless, um, so you got a plan with this degree and, and you got some stuff, but 
a step aside from all the school and all that stuff and and you know let's let's uh kind of kick back into the fishing you know you said you're into panfish into you know bass warm water fish carp trout obviously i've always found something special about panfish and when i saw your name the sunfish king that's that's what stood out in my mind i'm like all right nobody just goes out and says like all right i am the king of sunfish people either <laughs> have no regard to like bluegill and pumpkin seed and and green you know sunfish and red ear sunfish and everything else what got what got you to that sunfish king pathway so before I ever had a YouTube channel, when I first got into fishing, I found uh, Fish Brain, the fishing app. Um, and so not only does it give you like the bite forecast and all that stuff, and it'll tell you where people are catching fish around you and things like that, but it allows you to share, you know, pictures of the fish that you've caught, videos, things like that. And um, so what I would do is I would, the first, when I first got into fishing, I mean, I had gone 24 years of my life without catching fish. So I was excited with everything I was catching. I don't care how small it was. So I'm on there as I'm fishing. So I reel in a bluegill or a bass. I'm taking a picture and posting it right there. You know, if I've got the internet service where I'm out fishing. And so I, I post a little bit of everything. And I think in the first year I logged about 5,000 fish on there. And I think, th you know, two or 3,000 of them were different species of, of pan fish. So, you know, crappie and bluegills, uh, green sunfish, all those things you just named. And so some people on there were calling me the sunfish king. And, you know, I don't know if some of them were meaning it derogatory or if they meant it, you know, in a positive way, but either way, I, I took that name and I owned it. And so it was originally um, my fish brain name was just Kieran Payne or something like that, just my actual name. Um, but I changed it to the sunfish king on there. And shortly after is when I got talked into, um, um, starting a YouTube channel by a few people suggested it, but it was really Show Me Creeks on YouTube. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's another mm -hmm. Missouri angler that loves multi-species fishing, fishing creeks and stuff. He talked me into, he's like, just ask for a GoPro for Christmas or something and just go out and try it. And so I started my YouTube channel and that's what I started the name with, Sunfish King. And I did that for the, for all those reasons. And also um, I wanted a name that, that when I searched Sunfish King, I wanted my name to be the first that came up, right? If I did like you know, ripping lips TV or something. There's probably a hundred channels with that name. I, I, I looked around sunfishking.com wasn't owned. So I bought that domain. I don't have a website yet, but I just bought it. So someone else can't, I've got that for the next couple of years, probably three years. Um, and so I was like, okay, if I ever decide to make a brand, a brand off of this, I'll have a name that's not out there. You don't hear sunfish King, you know, I don't hear any companies or any other people named the sunfish King. Um, and so I wanted something that was unique and if someone looked it up they would find me and then that's just what a lot of people were calling me anyway on fish brain now as i said when i get into those those kicks where i'll you know catch a bunch of trout for a week or two or, or catch a bunch of carp or whatever i go for people are always like oh you got to change your name to the carp king now or the trout king now and it's like all right i've got my name and it might have been a little bit of a a bad idea i don't know i, th I think when people see my name they just assume that nothing i catch nothing but sunfish or panfish and I don't want that, you know, I want people to know that I'm a multi-species angler, but if you check out my channel or my social medias for a second, you'll see that I, I catch a little bit of everything. Um, it's funny. I just had hosted, which was a really successful event. Actually, I just hosted a bass tournament over the weekend, like a YouTube bass tournament, which was a ton of fun. Um, and I had some people give me comments like, how come you're the sunfish king and you're hosting a bass tournament and stuff. And I was just like, Hey man, I want to see people catch fish. You know, it'll be a lot of fun to host. And so that was a super fun event. I did that on my YouTube channel. 
Wow. You know, that's cool though, because, uh, it wasn't something that you had to create. It was like, you were, you were crowned sunfish King right. over there <laughs> on, on fish brain. You know, I had fish brain for a little bit and, and the, the community actually got really toxic around here. I should say. Really? It, it, yeah. And, and a lot, some of it now it, in your experience, has there been a lot of spot burning on fish brain that you've witnessed? Um, so a lot of people get crap for that to the point where they're blurring out the background and doing all that stuff. Like you'll sometimes see that on Instagram as well. Around Kansas city and around here, I would see a lot of people posting fish and giving it a public location. Now, if they are, um, but for the most part, I've, I've met a lot of cool people on there and I, I wouldn't consider it a toxic environment, but I know what you mean. There are those people who get on you for spot burning and things like that. Um, I don't, I don't post my location most of the time on, on most of the, you know, social medias and stuff when I'm posting fish. Um, but if someone were to message me and ask, I'd probably give it to them unless it was like a honey hole or a place that very few people knew about. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've, I've definitely met some cool people on there and actually hooked up with some people even out, out of state, Kansas, Arkansas, things like that, and got together with them for some fishing. So I, I'd say that most of the people on there are positive, but you've got that. And then you've got some people, a lot of them are just little kids. You catch a, you catch yeah. a bluegill or a small bass and they're like, why would you post that? That's so small. And so you just got to ignore the hate, just like any social media platform, right? Oh, yeah. so people yeah. are saying positive things. That's great. If people are leaving comments like that, I just tend to ignore it because you're not going to win an argument online with somebody who's, you know, mad at you for catching a small fish or burning a spot or something like that. So I could definitely see both both sides of that argument. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and there again, that's my personal uh, observation from, like I said, our area. I'm not saying every area is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that it's been a real big source of contention with with a lot of different anglers, especially um, with, with limited stocks of fish runs and stuff like that, where, you know, somebody said, Hey, go to this hatchery. There's a bunch of fish there every morning. And what happens during, like, when you have migratory runs of fish, like we do, everybody floods to this one spot and you have like people shoulder to shoulder combat fishing. And I know, I know with like pan fish and bass, that's not the case. And so, um, but I do know with migratory runs of fish, like, uh, do you guys have white bass there? We do have white bass and not in all waters, but in most of the big lakes and rivers. Yes, we do have white bass. That's a fish that I have not gotten really into chasing white bass yet. I've got, tried to go to a couple of places where people said the white bass run was on or about to start. And I've only ever, ever caught a couple, but I've seen all these YouTube videos of people getting into a whole, a whole bunch of white bass when they're running. And so that's, that's one of the next steps for me is to get into to white bass and get more into walleye fishing. And then fly fishing is the next big adventure for me as well. Yeah. That's, been, that's been something I've been wanting to get into for quite a while. Uh, right. right now it's finances holding me back. Cause I know oh, sure. I can afford a, a fly setup. Right. But it's just all the different gear, buying a ton of flies or even, you know, tying your own that gets expensive quick. And so mm-hmm. I'm probably going to wait until I'm in a little better financial, um, position just in case I absolutely fall in love with it and then you know you've got all these added expenses on top of the other fish I already fished for and everything like that so uh, we definitely have white bass but that is one of those species that I have yet to uh, you know really master the technique of going for them or finding them uh, at all really at this point I've only ever caught a few 
Yeah, uh, the reason why I brought up white bass, fish brain, fish runs was that's probably the closest thing outside of walleye where you actually have transient running fish, you know, and and so I didn't know if that if that brought out like a lot of combat fishing and in, in the hot spots or if there was enough distribution of people that they were able to distribute through the run zone and and there wasn't such a restriction on where you guys were fishing them. Yep. So most of the people around here in the Springfield area um, that I've just talked to, they're pretty open on sharing where the white bass are running and where they've gotten into them. Just guys at gas stations. Cause I'm always riding around with five, six rods in my car. So people yeah. see that I'm filling up gas and they strike a conversation with me if they're a fellow angler. And so I've had a ton of people tell me different spots to go fish. And some of them I've gone and checked out and some of them are just on a list somewhere to when I get time, I'll go check them out. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said, with the, with the Ozark area and the water, you know, the water levels filling and, and uh, going down all the time, you could go to a great spot on a bad day when the water was real low or even right after, you know, a big rain and the fish may have been washed in that hole, but it's just rushing too fast or whatever it may be. So not only do you have to find a good spot, you've got to go at the right time around here to know if it's an actual productive fishery or not. Yeah. It's all right place, right time, water temperature, mm -hmm weather all you know we know we know about all that and uh that so so you got over there you started on the fish brain fish brain they made you the sunfish king and then you went over on youtube you asked for a gopro for christmas and you started making all these videos and you know i haven't looked at your recent sub base or anything else but you got a lot of subscribers yeah i'm thinking i'm, I'm getting close to 2500 on youtube right now um my goal would be I mean, growing subscribers is great. I'd, I'd rather, I'm more focused on the analytics, growing, you know, getting more viewers to watch the videos and things like that. Cause it's great to have 2000 subscribers, but I checked last night. I just did simple division. And this includes all my first videos I put out, which were like just picture videos. And I didn't know what I was doing. And some of them I've deleted, but a lot of them I've still left on there. And so I divided my amount of views by my amount of videos. And I put out 408, 409 videos on YouTube. And so it's at like 384 views per video on average, which some people might say is good. But for having 2000 subscribers, I think I could do better. When I check my analytics on YouTube, there's green check marks or arrows next to everything, which means that it's better than the previous month or whatever, which is always good. But there, there's just so many ideas and so much things I want to do with my YouTube channel that time finances and the terrible internet that i have here at the apartment right now are are kind of all obstacles for that like last night i do live streams every tuesday night and last night about an hour in i had to end it because the internet was so bad and that was even with wired you know internet i was plugged in straight to the router with an ethernet and so i tested it last night and it's it's an upload speed issue so hopefully i get that fixed soon but i'm really hoping that when i when I graduate and get a job, obviously I'll be busy a lot, but I'm, I'm hoping for a more structured schedule to where I can plan time to do more things with YouTube and even go fishing more and things like that. In grad school, I don't have like a, oh, I'm free these days. I'm busy these days. It changes all the time. What I do for, for work is I actually work at the university and I'm a success coach. And so not only do I have to accept meetings from students during my work hours, I'm supposed to keep like five or six hours during the week free for students to schedule meetings, even when I'm not at work. So, I mean, oh man, I'm supposed to be, I was supposed to be on call until seven today, but I just blocked off a couple hours in my schedule and just hope no one would say anything about it. 
Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm an instructor at a community college, so I'm not at a university, but I am an instructor. Cool. I, I totally hear what you're saying on, you know, yeah, you have your time. And then we have like our, our office hours for advising and, you know, helping students through issues and all that, because all students have issues they, at right. some point or another. So we have to make ourselves available for that. But um, man, it's, it's that time that you have to grind after work and, and do that kind of thing in education that a lot of people don't see, you know, and, and even as a student advisor, you're not, you're not a professor, you're not an instructor, but that's, that's a pretty loaded job, you know, doing student success and support and th things like that. A lot of people underrate that because otherwise all that loads on the lab aides and the professors to try to do, and, and they just simply don't have time to do it. But right. um, that, that's a cool thing to, to be involved in. But I will tell you this, when you do complete grad school and you get a job, your schedule will normalize it. There yeah. is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you will have <laughs> your ability to schedule your time to go fish and everything else. It's just that, you know, between the way the classes are structured and the scheduling with the departments and everything else, it just leaves almost no time for a student to have any kind of like normalcy. And then, and then you work on top of it. It's like, you know, you will have time. Yeah. That's what I keep telling myself. And I was an instructor for the last two semesters also. So I, I taught freshman classes up here. So I oh, know they cool. struggle with that too. And I was too, I was told by not only my girlfriend and people in my family, but also the people at work that I was just too invested in my students. I would literally, it'd be my free time, you know, in the evening or the weekend. And if I had a student that was sending me an email, I'd get on it like right there and be like, this student needs help. They're struggling in the class. And I've got my girlfriend telling me, this is your time, man. You need to, you need to have a good separation of work and, and uh, you know, your own life. But I just, I'm very passionate about helping people. I, I was a tutor in college and undergrad. And then I, I taught for my first year of, uh, of uh, graduate school. And then now I'm a success coach. So I'm always tend to get pretty involved in academics, no matter where I go. And uh, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, we all know that feeling as being the freshman, right? You're, you're anxiety ridden. You just want to pass. Obviously they give you a freshman class. They're like, yeah, this guy's going to have fun <laughs> with it. You know, unfortunately that's kind of the way it goes. You know, the professors and everything else are like, Oh, we'll let you cut your teeth with a bunch of new students, you know? And the, and of course you're not going to, just get any student coming to a university. Uh, and I'll be the first one to say that you're going to usually find students that are pretty academically on top of everything with the exception of a few that their parents say, you go to college or get out of my house. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to usually get a little better cut of cloth out of, in the four-year colleges and stuff, but they're coming into that college and they're, they're anxiety ridden and they have depression and then they got parties and then they got everything else going on. And it's like this whole world. And then you have sororities and, and fraternities and uh, it, it, like everybody's got all this stuff going on in a university. And then just the schedule structure and the huge lecture halls with five, 600 people as a freshman. I mean, that's, that's insane. So good for you. I'll, I'll be the first one to say good for you for supporting those students. There is the dividing line, but you know, sometimes that makes the difference for that student between whether they continue on with college or not. Yep, exactly. That's a big deal. So that, I guess that kind of brings in everything into the picture for me. I never knew that you were a instructor, you worked at a college and all that other stuff, but you get a lot of education from your channel too. Was that intentional or was that just uh, something that you kind of came about making? 
Um, so, and especially in my early live streams, like when I very first got into live streaming, I did something every week called multi-species weekly. And it was with a couple of guys, they were like 15, 16 years old. And we would, we would run a, a YouTube live stream and we would pick a different topic every week, whatever people wanted to talk about. It might, we might be talking about fishing for a specific species, trout, panfish, bass. We might be talking about gear or fishing tournaments or, you know, whatever, finding fish, all types of stuff. And, uh, that was that was a ton of fun. I still try to include that in my channel somewhat, but I've I've always from the beginning of my channel, I, I had all these decisions. So when I'm out fishing, there's gonna be, you know, F bombs and I get frustrated and stuff. But on my oh, yeah. channel, I decided let's keep it family friendly so that it's it's you know, anyone can watch it. Kids won't be watching it and have their parents tell them don't watch this channel and stuff like that. And I also decided let's bring some educational stuff into it because really what helped me go from like I'm super interested in fishing to like okay, now I'm actually finding fish and get on them is the plethora of YouTube videos and online content that I watched that was had helpful tips in it and stuff like that. So I wanted to pass some of that on. And then, you know, at the same time, I had already been a tutor for a couple of years in college and stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very into education and things like that. And so I wanted to include a lot of that into my channel. And then also, um, obviously, like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't fish. And during those teenage years, you know, you start to get bored and you can get in trouble or you can do something that you shouldn't be doing and things like that. And I think that if kids and me, especially when I was younger, if I had something like fishing, you know, to be passionate about. And when I had free time, I'd have something to go out and just keep me busy and keep me learning important, you know, life skills and getting connected with nature. I think kids probably wouldn't get in as much trouble if they had something like mm -hmm. that. So I decided from the beginning that my channel would be at least in part, um, educational and also in any way I could support the the younger guys getting out fishing and girl you know the younger kids to get out fishing and and enjoy the outdoors and stuff like that so those were decisions decisions that I made early in starting my channel and uh, I try to keep that going as good as I can well I think you're doing a fantastic job with it and I think it's a a, a great thing to have because um, I I fully agree I think I think an idle kid's a bad kid you know, and, and that's not saying that every kid that, that doesn't do something all the time is bad. But what I'm saying is, is that when kids don't have something to do or something positive to use their, you know, physical and mental energy towards, uh, they typically do end up getting into trouble. And one of the most affordable things a kid can do to keep themselves out of trouble is to fish. I mean, in all honesty, there's always going to be somebody around that's going to hook up a kid with a fishing rod. I mean, I know if I had a kid like, oh, I want to go fishing. I don't have a fishing pole. It's like, yeah, I got like 20 of them over here. You know, I'll go to a yard sale and start buying, you know, $2 rods and rebuild the reels and give them to kids or something. You know, if yeah. that was the case, if we, if we knew where the kids were, that would be one thing, but the education resources, yeah. Keeping it all rated G or PG the best you can. That's, that's always a, a good th way to go. Yep, for sure. I agree with what you said with an idle kid is, you know, more, more prone to get into trouble. I think when I was a teenager or even, even a little before that, I think every time that I ended up getting in trouble or doing something I shouldn't start it with me or one of my friends saying I'm bored, you know, I'm yeah. bored. What should we do? And next thing you know, you're doing something you shouldn't, or you're sneaking into somewhere you shouldn't, and you end up getting in trouble. And it's like, Hey man, if I was out fishing or doing something in the outdoors, none of this would have happened. And I still would have had a good time. So I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the funny part too. And it's so sad that our world's got to the point now though, you know, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, foster parent, and it's hard to, it, it's hard to tell your kids, Hey, why don't you go take a walk down to the river and go fish? Because 
I go down to the river and some days there's people down there that I don't want my kids around. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it's a real unfortunate in today's day and age that we've got to that point. And, and it's not to make a political point, but just as a society as whole, uh, you know, we've got to this point where, you know, I hate to sound like the old man, but back in my day, if, if there was an old timer out there and I was doing something stupid, they were liable to grab me by my shirt collar and smack the crap out of me, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and nobody would have said any different. And I wouldn't have said anything to my parents and my parents wouldn't have said anything one way or another. It's just like, well, just deal with it, you know? Um, but now you don't have the cranky old guy that kind of holds everything down. Everybody's kind of scared because people are not necessarily mutually respectful, I guess is the best way. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Th there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes around. I don't even want to blame like mental illness or drugs on that, like increase. I, I, I think that in general, people are just angry nowadays uh, and, and that, and that has nothing to do with this other side, but you can't even let your kids go out and ride a bike in the cul-de-sac without having to worry about them, you know, having some stranger danger. Yeah. And I think that, again, you said not to get political and I, I I'll try my best not to, but um, I think that, so I started fishing in 2019 before, you know, the, the whole pandemic started. And uh, I noticed just from when I started then, like I said, I'd walk around the bank asking for tips from, you know, old guys or whatever, even from them to after the pan to after the pandemic, I've noticed people have gotten a lot less friendly and outgoing and stuff. And like people went mm -hmm. for, you know, working at home or whatever for, you know, a couple of years, basically. And then you go and talk to people and sometimes you get like a sideways look or someone looks at you weird, like, why is this person coming up to me? Because a lot of people got so wrapped up in their own world. And they're just, I feel like the people are a lot less outgoing and willing to just talk to people and stuff. And I definitely didn't change. I'm still, if I'm out there fishing, I see someone else with a fishing pole or even just hanging out by the lake, you know, I'll talk to mm -hmm. them and be friendly and stuff like that. But I've noticed a lot of people are just kind of in their own world, not wanting to interact as much. So I've, I've noticed that change just in the last couple of years as well. Yeah, that's well, the pandemic seemed to bring out a lot of people and it put a lot of people outside into the outdoors. And I, I think it was one of those things that really pushed fishing quite a bit. I, I would imagine that, you know, apps like Fishbrain, Onyx, um, you know, uh, a lot of these like YouTube channels, everything else, they've all kind of sprung out of the pandemic because of the excess time people have had, you know, when you don't have a work commute and you got, you know, just a block of work to take care of, it's not necessarily about grinding out the hours, but it's like, get this task done and then you're done. Um, I think it gave people a lot more free time with their families and they said, well, what can we do? We, well, let's get into fishing. But one of the other parts of it is, is that a lot of people now are scared of face-to-face -face contact. Yep. Um, and, and that's really unfortunate. And, and you probably see it at your university where there, there are some people there that refuse to come back to work. Um, and, and they say, I'm not coming back to work because it's too dangerous. I, I I'll get sick and die. Right. We have the same thing here. It's probably amplified a lot more here. Um, there again, not to get political, but it's just the culture. Um, right. uh, the, the culture here is one of a lot of fear and um, a lot of misinformation uh, mm -hmm. about the safety. Um, but yeah, people, it, it's changed people. And so you, you think about that in respect to, you know, people in general being able to go out or, are you going to be safe if you go out and there's somebody that's that scared? I mean, everybody has a fight or flight built into their mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's what worries me. I, and I guess to get back to the fishing part of it and everything, it's like, you know, um, 
it would be nice if we knew that our kids could be safe taken off on their bike with a fishing pole and a bucket of worms. Yeah. And like on my channel, like I said, I like to keep, you know, trying to encourage kids to go fishing, but you got to think that not everyone lives in the area you live. So Kansas city, Missouri, I would tend, I would tend to stay out of the urban areas and I would fish, you know, in the suburban areas or out in the country, people's ponds, you know, random Creek, stuff like that. And I hardly interacted with very many people at a lot of the spots I would go to. And when I would, it would usually be pretty, pretty friendly, but Springfield is, is it's a weird mix of people. You've got a lot of college students out here. And then if you go literally just a couple blocks from my apartment, you get into some, some bad parts of the neighborhood where you've got people passed out in front lawns of abandoned buildings. And I watched mm -hmm. a homeless guy and some dude filling up gas, getting an actual fist fight about two feet from me the other day. So, um, and then also just like some of these kids might be in, in urban areas and you say, Oh yeah, grab a rod and go fishing. And they go to some urban pond and you have no idea who's going to be hanging out there, you know, cause out there at a pond yeah. is, you know, a space where, people think, oh, I can go out there, I can drink or, you know, do do drugs or whatever they might be mm -hmm. doing. And then, you know, a kid comes along with a fishing pole and that's just not a good situation right there. So I've got to keep that in mind when I tell kids like, just go out and find a creek and, and fish and see what happens. You'll love it. Well, you know, it's not the same for everybody in their situation where they live and stuff like that. And that's just the, like the sad reality of how it is. So. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's, it's just so sad that we have to have that conversation when it comes down to you know, kids being able to go fishing. It's really a, a tragic situation. And, you know, hopefully one day we can, we can go back to that safety, you know, not necessarily go back into time, but um, to get some kind of like a semblance of something so that these kids, at least that the new normal doesn't have to be seeing a bunch of people doing these things to themselves. If these people are going to do that, they're going to do it. There's nothing anybody's going to be able to do to stop them. But um, you know, I just feel bad for the kids and you're absolutely right. Uh, there's, you know, there's groups that have been put together to get urban kids out fishing specifically. And people are like, well, why would you want to, you know, put a group together for urban kids? And you outlined a hundred percent correctly why they have to have those groups. It has to be safe transport to a safe place because they can't just like stroll down to the river because yeah, there could be people down there doing drugs or, you know, uh, mentally ill that are really dangerous and you, nobody wants to put their kids in that situation. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. I know, especially in the Kansas city urban areas, I do go out and fish some of the rivers that come off, um, the Missouri river, which is pretty, you know, pretty known for having giant catfish and a lot of nice fish and stuff like that. And I like to fish. I still haven't gotten into the huge river fishing scene. I, I think it's easier to find the fish on some of those smaller rivers and creeks that come off of the big river. Um, and I've, you know, run into countless homeless people out there when I'm up in those areas and most interactions have been fine, but that's also, you know, I'm six foot one, 220 something pounds They're you know, they're probably less likely to try something with me than they would with like, you know, a, a female or a kid, you know, something like that. Somebody who doesn't really pose a threat to them. So, um, that's just something to keep in mind, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope one day we can get these kids a safe place close to home to fish and, and, you know, hopefully that there's folks out there that are willing to mentor those kids as well. You know, we've talked about that in the past on different episodes of the podcast where, you know, we've talked about how important it is to help foster the future and, and, you know, give these kids the opportunity to do that. So, well, enough about the bad stuff. You were talking about wanting to get into fly fishing. Have you ever fly fished before? 
No, I have fished. So I do a lot of trout fishing. I've fished at some of the the rivers out here that are like uh, spring fed and stuff. And so they will stock trout and a lot of them every once, every once in a while. And then some will, you know, they'll be able to live in there because the conditions are right because they got that constant flow of cold water coming in. Some of them, they don't even have to stock. Like, I don't know if they stock the White River that runs, you know, it's down in Arkansas. It's part of the same river system that table rock is and bull shoals which is where all my cameras are and stuff like that but uh, i go out there and fish and i don't know if they even they even stock anymore i think that they all just you know live out there um uh just basically i wouldn't call them wild but you know what i mean like self-sustaining populations and mm -hmm. i've tried all different types of methods for fishing for them so i've thrown flies whether you know under a float or whatever um with spinning gear but i have never even i don't think i've even casted a fly rod and it's something I'd love to get into. I know that I know that it's not easy to get into. I know it can be frustrating at first, and I'm sure when I get into it, I'll experience that. But I am always up for a challenge, and I think it would be it would be a ton. Of, it looks like a blast. I mean, I don't care if you're catching panfish, little stalker trout, or like big giant browns at the river. Um, fly fishing looks like a ton of fun. So I, I have basically no experience with it, um, but it definitely looks like something I want to get into for sure. Well, outside of the cost, and there's a lot of affordable options, uh, I will tell you that fly fishing is not impossible. Um, it's as hard as you want to make it, getting getting up to speed, learning how to cast, doing that kind of stuff. If if you're as dedicated as you are to catching sunfish on conventional tackle, I guarantee you that you will have down throwing a fly around in, in no time. And one thing I would encourage you to do is to go after panfish on the fly. It is such a blast. I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. And they're aggressive strikes and you don't have to buy bait. And they, the top water strike on a bluegill or a pumpkin seed or a green sunfish ready or whatever, they're, they're so much fun. Yeah, they're aggressive fish. I know we kept, and I, I usually have a couple of aquariums going in my apartment. I had to take one down because of some, some algae issues, but I've usually got panfish in some of my, like my native tanks and stuff. And I, I was in charge. I was the president of the American fishery society, the, the chapter at my undergrad university. And one of my responsibilities, I ran a big 200 gallon tank of, of native fish. We'd go out with some of the students and we would show them how we would seine for fish and things like that with seine nets. And we would collect some, we'd bring a couple back and put them in the fish tank and man, the most aggressive fish we ever put in those fish tank were, were sunfish, usually green sunfish. They would they would fight with a fish, you know, over twice their size for food. And they would they would nip at the fins and they're just they're aggressive little suckers. So people who <laughs> people who say sunfish aren't fun or like there's no point fishing for them. They are they're really aggressive fish. So fishing with light tackle and I'm sure fishing with, you know, fly fly gear would be would be awesome for for sunfish. They're very aggressive fish. Uh, well, John and I both love them. I mean, we, we will spend a day out chasing big fish. And then when we don't catch anything, we'll still go fish for bluegill just to remind ourselves that we, we can still catch fish <laughs> just because they're yeah, so aggressive. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause you'll be out, you know, for me, I, I might go out and just hammer on a trout river all day and maybe get, you know, six, seven tr good trout, you know, and then get a mix of like white fish and you know, large scale sucker, which don't get me wrong. They're all fun to catch. I love whitefish. A lot of guys out in the West here want to kill them. They're ignorant to their part in the, the whole river ecosystem, but, um, the, you know, catching all those other fish is totally fun, but maybe it wasn't like the Epic day that you wanted and you go find a little pond or a back slew and you just start flipping flies out and you get that 
on the surface. And it's just, there's something it's like, all right, I can go back to camp. Now I can have a beer. I can, you know, have dinner and I caught some fish. Yeah. And I think panfish is a good way to get kids into fishing as well, because a oh, lot yeah. of, a lot of where people, cause I'll talk to some of my friends who don't fish and they're like, Oh, it's boring. I went with my dad or my grandpa when I was younger. And a lot of the times when I get to talking to them, they'd go out for bass and they'd cast a hundred times and not catch anything, or they'd go out for catfish and they'd get bored, you know, watching a rod and they don't want to fish. They're running around picking up rocks and playing with bugs and stuff like that. But when I, I I've taken um, a few younger people fishing, or I've been at a lake and had younger kids fishing near me that weren't having luck. And I'd give them some tips and stuff like that. And usually, you know, get them on the pan fish if, you know, cause you can usually find a pretty good pan fish bite and the little kid, they just want to catch a fish. That's exciting. You know, they hook up with a fish and they bring it in mommy, mommy, I caught a fish. You know, they're super excited mm-hmm. to show that fish off. So I think to get kids into fishing pan fish is great. Or even like stock trout, if you've got a place where you can get kids oh, yeah. in stock trout pretty easily. Um, and then you can, once they, once they develop that love for fishing, then you can try for like bass or catfish or things that might take a little more time or more persistence. But I do think mm-hmm. panfish are still a ton of fun. Again, I've only been fishing three years. So if I don't like getting skunked, I do the same thing you do. If I go out and <laughs> fish all day and I don't catch anything, or I don't have that much luck, a lot of times I will just, you know, let's grab some worms or put on a crappie jig and just go stop at a spot. I know I can get on some sunfish on my way home. You know, there's, I can still catch fish, like you said. So, yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. And, and like I said, just from, from what I've watched of your videos and I try to watch as many as I can, I, as it seems like alerts come in from everybody all over the place, you know, but I always try to sub to everybody and, and see what's going on. But just from everything I've watched, I, I absolutely love the simplicity and the education out of your videos. And, and, you know, it's just a lot of fun to, to see that and uh, now know a lot more about you uh, and the backstory. Um, It's just, that's cool. You know, the sunfish king, I was like, all right, now we know the backstory behind it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. It's, it's all fun. The second I stop having fun making content is the second I'll stop doing it. I mean, I am monetized on my channel and everything, but I don't do it for the money. When I get money from my channel, I usually go straight back into it. I do a ton of giveaways and I, I host tournaments where there's prizes involved and stuff like that. And so if anything, I've spent a lot more into my channel and the things that I do than I've gotten back for it, if that makes sense. So oh, that's yeah. what I tell young kids when they're getting frustrated. Oh, I'm, I'm stuck at a hundred subscribers. I can't grow things like that. I'm like, Hey, are you having fun? If you're having fun making the content, keep mm-hmm. doing it. If you're not, it's not going to be for you right now. I would just take a break. Cause it's just like a professional sport, right? Like how, what, what is the percentage of people that start a YouTube channel that are going to get a hundred thousand subscribers and right. turn it into like a living, you know, you're not, if you're, if you're a 15 year old kid and you start a channel and you're expecting to blow up and make money from it in no time, then you're probably in it for the wrong reasons. I mean, if you love fishing and outdoors and that's what your channel is about, then just bring a camera along on your adventures that you're already doing and don't try to make it too difficult. Just have fun and record a little bit. And every once in a while, I mean, actually I'd say over half the times I go fishing, I don't bring camera gear because trying to record everything and make sure I say my intro and sometimes that gets, that gets tired, you know, and it's just like, let's just get out and fish, you know, go back to the roots and stuff like that. So I think as long as someone's having fun making the content, then they should keep doing it. And if they're not, maybe take a break or maybe it's not right for them. So that applies for me as well. If I'm having fun, I'm going to keep putting out the content. As soon as it's not fun for me, that's when I'll, you know, take a break and focus on other things. Yeah. And, and like right now we're kind of hitting a crossroads with Instagram. Uh, It's just, it, it works great for communication, but man, it just sucks for growth right now. And I don't yeah. know if that's just 
the AI trying to twist people to buy ads or whatever, but it's kind of like, all right, we're done wasting time with that. On the flip side, had like two great weeks of, of good interactions on YouTube shorts and then right in the toilet. Yeah. Shorts but, are crazy. You'll get, you'll yeah. get, I put out a short of me releasing a bluegill back when yeah. I just started fishing. I just happened to record it on my phone and he went belly up for a second and then I touched him and he swam away and I put some clickbait title, like dead fish comes back to life. And I just checked and it's at like 11,000 views or something. And then you'll oh, put out yeah. a video of you catching an absolute hog bass on a short and it'll get 80 views. So shorts are all over yeah. the place too. I don't know how the algorithm works with that i, I don't know if it's yeah. titles or time of day i think all that i think there's a lot i of think it all plays in it. yeah so i i started watching stats just for fun and and i noticed that we were getting a lot of people from ajirzan i think and india watching mm -hmm. and and i had uh uh short of releasing a bluegill like slid out of my hand or no no, no it was a bass it was really clear water i let this thing go sixty-eight thousand views in like an hour yeah, and then blow up sometimes. <laughs> and then it's flat like, lines. Yeah, it's like, come stupid. on, YouTube. I got 68,000 views. What more do you want for the algorithm yeah, here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, it, like I said, I, the, I always call it the sweaty pig in the basement. You know, it's like, you know, there's some there's some guy that's down there and he's got like those dark glasses on drinking a big gulp in his underwear and he's just hitting <laughs> buttons, dude. I swear <laughs> to God, dude, that's that's the only thing I can think of. And so you I call it the something there. I, 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 I call it the sweaty pig in the basement that's like screwing us up here, you know, because it's like, dude, like I put up a short of my daughter catching this nice coho offshore. And I thought, man, this should do pretty good. No, nope, 40 views. No, yeah, no, it doesn't even get into there. It's like a 10 pound coho and it's got this heavy action rod flexed out in half and everything. And, you know, it's super cool, but I'll, I'll put up one with the ocean sunfish. It'll probably get 40,000 views fish waves high, you know, yeah. it's just this, <laughs> you know, fish the size of a bus doing this out of the water and people just, I don't know. It's bizarre, but uh, we are coming up on our hour. Where can people get in touch and contact with you? So I obviously I'm on YouTube. Um, and so just, you know, watch a video, leave a comment. All my information should be on YouTube. So in my descriptions, my about section, my emails there. Um, I, my email is blowing up constantly because I have it out there, but don't let that scare you away. Send me an email. If you have any questions for me or, you know, interest in collabs, anything like that. I'm also, I'm Sunfish King on, I mean, you can see, but the people listening can't all these uh, social medias that I've got behind me. So I'm on mm -hmm. Fish Angler. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Fish Brain. And I am recently, I started a TikTok as well. I'm getting close to that 1,000 followers. And I do plan on going live fishing and stuff on there once that happens. So pretty much any social media, you can find me, Sunfish King. And again, just, you know, leave a comment on a YouTube video. And I, I'm pretty good at responding to comments. I haven't got so big to where I won't respond to a person if they, you know, say something friendly on there. So that's how you yeah. can reach me any of those ways. Or if you see me out fishing, come and say hi. <laughs> no, that's cool. And you're in the Springfield, Missouri area. So uh, any of our folks that are down there in Missouri or Tennessee, uh, Texas, Arkansas, you know, go out and look for Kieran, uh, go watch his videos, go check him out. Definitely. Uh, but Kieran, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time tonight, uh, rushing home from the spillway. I, I think I almost would have messaged myself and said, hey, dude, there's something out here. It's got a bunch of my stuff. I'm going to run down to the sporting goods store, get some braid, get back out here and whip on this thing. But <laughs> I, I, I really, <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, 
you know, I, I, you know, I look forward to seeing more of your content, more of your videos down the road, everything else. I, I know that it, it takes a lot of work and you're busy, but man, we, I think all of us really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. I will talk fishing and outdoors with anyone, anytime. So it's been nothing but fun for me. Um, I will be also watching and listening as well. So, well, we appreciate it. And so, folks, make sure uh, there just to run everything down again. You can find Kieran on Fishbrain, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. I didn't catch what's that other app that you're on. Uh, did you say Fish Angler? Fish Angler. Okay. Yeah. Uh, kind of so, like Fish Brain, but a little bit different. It's a little bit more international, I would say, on there. But awesome. Same thing. Cool. So go check out Kieran on those all under Sunfish King. Super easy to remember. You'll, you'll find some great content with him and always feel free to connect with him too. He's a great guy to talk to. He loves to talk fishing. Uh, I can tell you that he loves to share pictures. He likes to tell you about all the cool stuff. So uh, make sure you reach out to him. And for us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. You're not going to find us on TikTok. It got hacked. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, but you can, you can find us on the Go Wild app, which we're actually going to put a little more emphasis into. Um, and and uh, you can go over there and check us out there. Once again, our sponsors are Max and Outfitters, Lid Rig, Troutlander Nets, Morris Fly Co., and Angry Rooster Fly Company. And all of their information for our discount codes will be in the show notes. I'm going to have uh, all the show note information for Kieran as well. So until next time, if you want to get in touch with us, make sure to email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. We'll be happy to talk to you, have you on the podcast. So hopefully... You enjoyed this and thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of our viewers. So until next time, have a fantastic day.